Good morning. Our scripture this morning, um, our reading comes from the book of 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 35. I'll be reading verses 1 through 8a and then 16 through 19. Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the first month. He appointed the priest to their offices and encouraged them in the service of the house of the Lord. And he said to the Levites who taught all Israel and who were holy to the Lord, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel built. You need not carry it on your shoulders. Now serve the Lord your God and the people Israel. Prepare yourselves according to your father's houses by your divisions as prescribed in the writing of David, king of Israel and the document of Solomon, his son and stand in the holy place according to the groupings of the father's houses of your brothers, the lay people, and according to the divisions of the Levite by the father's household, and slaughter the Passover lamb, and consecrate yourselves, and prepare for your brothers to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Then Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings for all who were present, lambs and young goats from the flock to the number 30,000 and 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions and his officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests and to the Levites. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year, of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's getting to be that time of year uh, when there are all kinds of celebrations and uh, anniversaries and holidays, Easter, and Mother's Day, Father's Day, weddings, graduations, uh, and on and on, so I thought I'd do just a little bit of digging on the internet to find out some of the really bad ways uh, that people have acknowledged or even forgotten some of those important dates. Uh, a woman named Lindsay shared this. It was my birthday. My husband tells me, when you get home, there's going to be all kinds of presents for you to open. So I get home from work, and there's nothing, not even a card. And so I... I talk to him and he says, well, what I ordered for you for your birthday should arrive tomorrow. Ordered? I asked him. When did you order it? He said, yesterday, the, the day before my birthday off of the internet. And I said, well, why didn't you get me a birthday card at least? And he said, well, anytime we get a card, you're always the one who picks it out. So I... Then to add to the story, the thing that he had ordered for me off the internet didn't even show up, and we had to go to the store the week later to pick it up together. Not a good way to celebrate a birthday. 
Father's Day, of course, is a notorious time for kind of beating up dads, right? I mean, if, if you think about it uh, on TV and movies, dads are often portrayed as uh, kind of uh, lazy and incompetent and uh, maybe marginally useful for earning money, but uh, not much else. Uh, we end up getting gifts that uh, make fun of us for our hygiene or uh, our intelligence or lack of competence, like uh, one book, The Complete Idiot's Guide to Fatherhood. Uh, One guy got this for Father's Day and said, maybe it's funny, maybe it even has some good advice in it, but uh, Father's Day is probably not the time to give a gift that says uh, you're an incompetent parent. Mother's Day, anniversaries, Uh, birthdays, graduations, uh, those are the days that, number one, you want to make sure you don't forget, and number two, we want to make sure that we acknowledge them appropriately, because we feel the pressure for those things, don't we? Why do holidays and and celebrations and and anniversaries like that seem so significant to us? Uh, I know sometimes we can kind of react with cynicism. Yeah, you know, it's just it's a Hallmark holiday. And uh, honestly, there are a lot of silly ones. Uh, Just earlier this month uh, was Lumpy Rug Day. Uh, Not sure how you celebrate that. Uh, Yesterday was National Windmill Day. And uh, today, of course, is Dance Like a Chicken Day. You can look that up on the internet. I'm not sure how you combine that with Mother's Day or if there's a way to get mom to dance like a chicken, uh, but you can use that as the excuse if you, if you try and get her to do that. You know, sometimes uh, on the other end, instead of being really cynical, maybe we get really over-sentimental and nostalgic as though, you know, our identity, our happiness is somehow wrapped up in how that day goes. And what kind of remembrance there was of it, and who was there, and and what they said. At their best, though, if we really think about it, holidays, celebrations, really are important because they, they point us to something that's significant, something that's bigger than us. Holidays are a recognition that there's someone, there's something that is worth celebrating, worth recognizing, worth being thankful for. And holidays, at least the you know, important ones, actual ones, uh, can show us what really matters and how we can respond appropriately when we recognize the significance of, of what that day is about. And, and really, as we're going to see a little bit later, holidays point us to something that's even bigger than the holiday itself. Holiday in English comes from a a couple of older English words that were mashed together. It was actually Holy Day. It was a day that was set apart at different times in the calendar for celebrating, for remembering what is true, what is important, what is worthy of recognition. And holidays point us forwards too, to hopes and visions for the future and maybe even for what we could become ourselves. Celebrations like that help us recognize the good, the blessings that we've been given, and and they show us how we ought to respond. And all of that comes together in this Passover celebration in 2 Chronicles 35. We're continuing in this series that uh, Joey has been uh, preaching through the last three weeks called Faith for Pagans, looking at how God's people have really wandered away 
from following God. Uh, they've been following uh, idols. They have just debased themselves into looking no different from the world around them. And Josiah comes on the scene with a, a heart for the Lord, and he gets rid of the idols, and he reestablishes the covenant. And uh, remember, he, he reads out the law and the commandments, and the people commit themselves to him. And now we come to this celebration of Passover. Passover was supposed to be the central defining celebration, the moment for God's people to be reminded of who God is and who they are and what he has done for them. The, the reminder of how God miraculously delivers his people out of bondage in Egypt, how the angel of death passes over them because of the blood of a sacrificial lamb that takes their place. How he leads them out against powers that are stronger than them and brings them into a good place where they will be able to love and serve and worship him and, and live in freedom and be a blessing to the people around them. And they will be God's people and he will be their God. And, and all of that is supposed to be this annual celebration that's focused on reminding us who God is and our place in the story. And it also points us forward. It's, it's sort of aspirational because even though we've been delivered, there's still a deliverance that we're looking for. Even though we're free, we still struggle to, to be really free. Even though God would come to live in us, we long for a home where he would be with us eternally. And, and we're going to see how that Passover celebration, like all holidays and celebrations and anniversaries, it's really about three things then. It's about remembrance and response and redirection. So let's look at this. Passover takes God's people again back to the time when they're slaves in Egypt and, and it reminds them that they are the children of God whom Moses comes to, to be the prophet and the savior to, to lead them out. Passover is about reminding us that we are not our own. We don't belong to ourselves. We didn't create ourselves. We didn't put ourselves here. God's people need this Passover because there's always the danger of forgetting. Of forgetting who we are. Forgetting what a great God we serve. Forgetting what a, a desperate and hopeless position we're in. Forgetting that, that we are totally dependent on God's grace. Because it's easy for us to, to get in a place where we sort of think, ah, look at this great land we're living in, and look at all that we've produced, and we've got this all figured out, and, and aren't we something? In Passover, this celebration that's foreshadowing what Jesus would do for us is, is pointing out it's a memorial of substitutionary sacrifice, of deliverance, of God's grace, and our need of that grace. God tells his people through Moses in Exodus 12, it's to be a memorial day throughout all generations to remind God's people. And, and the background, again, is that God's people have wandered off. Josiah has tried to bring them back. And, and now they're coming back to celebrate the foundation of this relationship that they have with God. And, and that I have been made in God's image to know him, to love him, to serve him, to follow him, that, to remember him in a way that nobody had in hundreds of years. It's kind of amazing. Look in verse 1. 
Josiah keeps this Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the month. And, and all the way at the end in verse 18, no Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. It's like centuries ago. What, how did they just forget to be reminded of and celebrate who they are and what God has done for them? They forgot the God who made them. They forgot the God who saved them. They forgot the God who blessed them. They forget that there's a cost to turning away from God. It has to be paid in the blood of a sacrifice. And and they needed to be reminded of that regularly. That's why it's important for us to come together and worship. That's why it's important for us to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's why it's important for us to be reminded, not just yearly, not just Monthly, not just weekly, but daily of who we are and this, this God and the grace of his that we need. Because we get lost, we forget, and then we tend to get our identity in the wrong kinds of things. Look at verse 3. It's this interesting comment. He tells the Levites who taught all Israel, put the holy ark in the house that Solomon built. You don't need to carry it on your shoulders. Serve the Lord your God and his people. Now, we don't know why the ark wasn't in the temple. I mean, obviously, it's supposed to be in the temple, but for some reason, the Levites are, like, putting it up on the poles and marching it around in Jerusalem. Now, why would they be doing that when what they're supposed to be doing is teaching Israel? I mean, there's a danger there in finding some kind of identity and recognition in what we're doing for God instead of what God has actually called us to do and finding our identity in who we are in him and what his word says about us. So maybe one of the things that we could do is ask God to help us remember, to help us remember that our identity is in him, that that we have a debt to him that we can never repay, that, that we could rest in the confidence that Jesus has paid it all, That we could pray, God, help me to remember that on my worst days, I'm not beyond the reach of your grace. On my best days, I'm not beyond the need of your grace. And there's nothing that I can do that that would make you love me less. And there's nothing that you will do, nothing that I could do that make you love me more. I'm secure in, in what Jesus has done. I need to be reminded of that. In 1997, Mr. Rogers was honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Emmys, and uh, he gave this short but uh, kind of moving acceptance speech. This is basically it. So many people helped me get here, and some of you are here tonight, some are far away, some are even in heaven, but all of us have special ones who have loved us into being. That's what... Passover is telling us. That's what those holidays and celebrations and remembrances are, that to remind us that we're not here on our own. We don't belong to ourselves. I didn't give birth to myself. I didn't raise myself. I didn't nurture myself. I didn't educate myself. It was all other people. It was all grace. It was God's working in my life through them. So I'm going to ask if we could do what Mr. Rogers asked that audience to do. Would you just take along with me 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are, those who cared about you, those who have wanted what is best for you. Maybe 10 seconds. Maybe maybe it's 
in our context, maybe it's parents, teacher, Sunday school teacher, WANA leader, maybe it's a teacher at school, who, a friend, a mentor. Can we take 10 seconds just to think about those people who have made us who we are? Whomever you've been thinking about, Mr. Rogers said, how pleased they must be to know the difference that you think they have made. How much more true is that of the God who made all of us? That he would be pleased that we would acknowledge him and his grace and his goodness in our lives. That's what Passover is about. That's why this was significant. It reminds us of who we are, where we've come from, and what is most true about us. And, and all those holidays, Mother's Day and Father's Day and Thanksgiving and Christmas, they are opportunities too to, to remind us that I did not come into this world on my own. I'm not the author of my own story. There's a much bigger story that God has written that I am a part of. I wouldn't be here if, if it weren't for God's grace and God's grace to me through other people. And, and so like the Passover, these holidays, like Mother's Day and, and other ones, humble us in good ways because they're about reminding us who God is and who we are in him. Your life is about finding your place in God's story and remembering and then out of that place, we, we have to do something with that, right? We, we respond. We respond when we remember all that God has done for us and all that he is. First, there's this responsive obedience. Look in verses 5 and 6. Josiah gives these uh, directions about how the priests and the Levites are supposed to stand and group themselves and slaughter the lamb and consecrate yourselves and to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Now, we skip this long section in verses 9 through 15, number one, because there's, again, about another dozen difficult-to-pronounce Hebrew names, but really because it's a long list of detailed instructions about how the sacrifices were presented and how they were prepared and how they were distributed. But the point through all of it was those details mattered because it's demonstrating that they were careful to do everything God had commanded them to do. Their response was, these aren't just rules to follow, but obeying God is actually a response of love and obedience and trust. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5 that Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep that festival, let us keep that feast, not with the old leaven of malice and evil, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Tim Keller puts it this way, obedience is living for the joy of bringing joy to God. Obedience is living for the joy of bringing joy to God. It's a really different way of thinking about obeying God, isn't it? Think about the areas that maybe you or I struggle to obey God, to forgive that person who hurt you, to, to give up that habit that's pulling you away from God, maybe to get our, get our tongue under control, to, to give up the right to be impatient when things don't go the way that we want. How would it change 
our efforts at obedience, if our goal was to bring God joy out of the gratitude for who he is and what he's done for us. We spent some time in 2 Kings last week looking at the law and the covenant, and uh, the writer of 2 Kings gives this summary of Josiah. Before him there was no king who turned to the Lord with all his soul and might according to the law of Moses, nor was there any afterwards like him. Now the chronicler doesn't really describe Josiah that way. Instead, he says Josiah celebrated the greatest Passover. In, In other words, what makes you the greatest king for the writer of this account is celebrating the greatest Passover, giving the greatest party, pouring out the greatest generosity to celebrate God's goodness. Look in verses 7 and 8. Josiah contributed to the lay people as Passover offerings 30,000 goats and lambs and 3,000 bulls from his own possessions. And, And his generosity inspired others Because his officials contributed willingly to the people, to the priests and the Levites also, 2,600 lambs and and 300 bulls and and another group of 5,000 lambs and 500 bulls. Generosity is a response to the recognition of God's goodness. When we're gripped with how good, how deeply good God has been to us, It prompts generous giving. And and it's not a matter of a a dollar amount particularly. Because Solomon, remember, when he dedicated the temple, he had thousands upon thousands more bulls and and lambs than Josiah did here. When Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes, he fed fewer people than Josiah did here. And, And when Jesus sees this widow woman in the temple, remember, putting her last two coins in the offering, he says she gave more than all the rest of them. Because she gave out of her need and out of a glad and joyful heart. And that doesn't just happen once a year on Passover or Father's Day or Mother's Day. Thoughtfulness and generosity become the pattern for our lives. I was in Walmart uh, shopping for, I think, some batteries recently. And uh, the Walmart near us, they have like a big bin near the checkout that has the big boxes of movie candy for 98 cents. And, you know, it's got Mike and Ike's and Whoppers and whatever else. I'm always looking for one treat in there that they never have, except last time they had it, they had snow caps, the little dark chocolate drops with the nonpareils on them. And I was super excited because Amelia loves them. And they never had them, and I kept looking for them every time I was in Walmart. And I came home literally like with this huge, ridiculous grin on my face that I was able to spend 98 cents to buy my wife a little box of chocolates that she liked. I buy her flowers not as often as I should for no reason, but you know that's, that's what love and gratitude does, right? It, it just wells up in generosity and wanting to bless other people. Amelia and I years ago committed to give 10% of our income to the church where we've been connected. And, and then we give to other ministries on top of that. And that's not a rule. It, you know, it's, it's a good guideline. And that has not always been easy for us, but, but it's not particularly been a sacrifice. And God has always been faithful to provide what we needed, even when we had to say no to other things. There's, there's been a tremendous joy now in having done that throughout the years of our married life. 
to know that we've been able to partner with what God is doing around the world and to be a part of spreading his mission and his work. Is that true of you? Has a recognition of God's generosity prompted glad and joyful giving in you? Regularly, faithfully, generously. Because that's what Josiah is modeling for us here. And I think that's the response that we have when we see God's goodness. We want to obey him and we want to give back out of what he's entrusted to us to be a part of his work in the world. How is generosity reflected in your life as a response to God's goodness? And then thirdly, all these celebrations, all all these patterns that we see here point us to something much bigger. They redirect our hope and our longing. You know, the story obviously doesn't end here. We know what happens after this. 600 years later, Josiah's great, 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 however many grandson comes on the scene, Jesus. And he does what Josiah could not do. He obeyed the law perfectly. Jesus is the lamb slain for the sin of the world. Jesus is the servant king who comes to wisely lead his people. Jesus is the ruler who rules for his people in power for their good. Jesus is the deliverer who comes to set his people free from bondage. Jesus is the one who brings us into God's family. But even that's not the end of the story because Jesus says, even though he completed the work that the Father gave him to do, he says he's also coming again to bring that to completion. You know, our hope as Christians is not heaven. Heaven, biblically, is actually a temporary place. Our ultimate hope is a new heavens and a new earth where everything is going to be restored and redeemed and made the way it was meant to be. No more sorrow, no more suffering, no more war, brokenness, conflict, no more death, no more disappointment. We will live and work and worship and fellowship together in a renewed and perfected creation. There will be healing of relationships. All the relationships that are difficult and broken now will be what they were meant to be. And and Jesus pictures this reality like a a wedding party, the best kind of wedding party with the best food and music and joy and laughter and, and friendship that will never end forever. No more goodbyes. That's why every holiday and every celebration and every birthday leaves us a little flat, doesn't it? Why we're always looking for the next good one, right? How so many people make money by selling us the idea of, you know, a perfect Christmas or the ultimate 4th of July party or the best Thanksgiving ever because none of them ever satisfy us. All of them are pointing us to something bigger and greater and that dissatisfaction, if we're not careful, you know, sometimes it can make us nostalgic for the good old days, like, oh, you know, if we could just have an old picnic with grandma's apple pie and polio germs in the swimming hole. Wouldn't that be awesome? There are no good old days that we're going to get back to. We're going forward. That's the hope that we have. 
Nothing here satisfies us because it wasn't meant to. It's meant to point us to God, who is the ultimate satisfaction. And, and that means for, for others of us, we maybe have to fight against that cynicism, right? I mean, it's understandable. I mean, a lot of our holidays have become shallow, commercialized rituals. Even something as, as good as Mother's Day has become a way to charge twice as much for brunch and flowers as you would on any other weekend, right? But there is something ultimately good about it. Even though Christmas has become a spending frenzy and Easter has become about candy and chocolates and, and bunnies and flowers, I mean, good gifts from God, but not really the point either and not what our souls are longing for. Can we redeem those celebrations? Is it possible to do that? Can, can they become opportunities for us, not just to even enjoy the good that's in front of us, but, but to use them as ways to shape our hearts for the ultimate good, the ultimate eternal reality that you and I were made for? So I haven't officially said it yet, but happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Because it's appropriate to say that on this day. There's something good and right about celebrating the way that many of moms that we would look at have nurtured and loved and cared for us. It's, it's a reminder that we did not bring ourselves into this world. Our life here is, is a gift of God's grace. We're dependent on the love and goodness of others. And, and Mother's Day is a great opportunity to express gratitude for the moms who have loved us, for for the children that they have brought into our lives and the God who is behind all of it. But that's not how Mother's Day works for a lot of people either. And we know that too, right? For a lot of people, Mother's Day is a lot more aspirational than it is reality. Maybe some of you wish you were a better mom. Maybe some of you wish you had a better mom. Maybe some of you wish you were a mom. And some of you dads wish that you were dads on Mother's Day, too. Mother's Day can be hard for some people, so let's celebrate, but, but let's be sensitive and loving, too. For some people, Mother's Day can be more about regret and longing than it is about reality. So maybe spend some time on Mother's Day with somebody who doesn't have a child or a mother to celebrate with. Remember those people for whom Mother's Day can be hard and, and let's be caring and sensitive and offer hope to them too. Because, because we're meant to be the body of Christ for one another, right? Especially to those who don't have kids or, or don't have kids around. Maybe you could offer a kind word, maybe even an invitation to lunch for people who don't have kids, don't have family around. Maybe some empathy for those who struggle with loneliness or infertility or, or miscarriage. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to adopt a grandparent or adopt a grandkid. See, we're the people of God. That's not defined by biology. That's defined by belonging to Jesus. We are family together. And, and that makes it an opportunity for us to transform Mother's Day in, into something bigger and more eternally hopeful. You know, we also talked about the opportunity to partner with Life Centers, with the baby bottles that are available down in the lobby today. I mean, here's a way that we can make Mother's Day and Father's Day 
into opportunities to show people the love and the care of Christ. And point them to the God who loves, who blesses, who saves, who is the parent who will never leave them, never abandon them, never abuse them. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that Christians become compelling to the world to the degree that we stand out as different. That we would be neighbors who deny ourselves, take up their crosses, and follow Jesus in his mission of loving a weary world to life. Isn't that a great, great phrase? Loving a weary world to life. Jesus says Christians would be his aroma to the world, partnering with God in his mission to bring a foretaste of heaven here. That's what this Passover is about. That's what Jesus is about. That's what the church is about. And we can do that because we are people who know the end of the story. We know who God is and who we are and our place in it. And we know his sacrificial, redeeming, self-giving love. Let's live it today and as we go from here. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your reminders. Thank you for things like Passover and Mother's Day and Easter and graduations and birthdays that are opportunities to be reminded again of the God who is the giver of every good gift. Father, protect our hearts from cynicism and sentimentality. Help us to take holidays and, and ceremonies and celebrations as opportunities to remember, to rejoice, to respond, and to redirect our hearts to the eternal hope that we have in you. God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We praise you in Jesus' name.